0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the podcast show. Today I've got another special guest with me and her name is Miriam k I'll just let Miriam introduce herself to everyone. Miriam, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Hello everyone. My name is Miriam Kay. I am an entrepreneur, business coach, marketing strategist, a mom, And most importantly, a sickle cell advocate. Thank you so much, Miriam. You are a mom, an entrepreneur, a business coach. That's many hats for one person to wear, especially someone that deals with sickle cell. Yeah, definitely. But uh, when you always just get on with things. You just do. I think that's one thing for sickle cell people. We're not waiting for, you know, claps. We just get on with life and do what we can do. So how do you manage to do all these many things with the challenges of sickle cell? And for those that don't know what sickle cell is, I mean, we've spoken about it in previous episodes, but you might want to start by at least telling them a bit about what sickle cell is and how you manage to do this many things with sickle cell. Sickle cell is a genetic disorder, meaning that you are born with it. It's passed down through the genes, so it's inherited. So don't worry, we're not going to give it to you. It's inherited. And um, it's a blood disorder And all a whole lot. With us with sickle cell, normal red blood shapes are around. But when you have sickle cell, ours are like a crescent, moon kind of shape. And um, so this causes it to be, uh, to get stuck together during circulation. And then that can cause a whole lot of issues like um, pain, organ damage, and whole other heaps of things. But that is generally what sickle cell is, an inherited genetic blood disorder. That affects mostly uh, people of um, Afro-Caribbean descent. So how do you uh, manage to do all these things with that? And you're a mom. Being a mom alone is a full time job. Yeah, and, and you're not just a mom of one. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've got two, and not just two different ages. You've got a set of twins. Yes, I am a mom of twins. They are about to be five, five going on to fifteen at this point, <laughs> and it definitely is not easy. And one thing people always say is you make it look easy. But when you have no choice and you always just have to balance things out, you kind of just learn to do it. You know? It's just like somebody that is on a wheelchair. You learn to just maneuver around the world because you know you have to adapt to your situation. So even though it may sound easy, it is not as easy as it sounds because. I still get quite a lot of um, crises and um painful crises, and some of which require hospitalization. Um, also on blood exchange, routine blood exchange. So every six weeks, I have to do a procedure where most of my blood gets taken out and replaced with blood from a donor that does not have sickle cells. So that way, it reduces the percentage of those. Those um present shaped cells in my body, but our blood is always generating cells, so our body just regenerates cells. That's why it has to be repeated. So it definitely isn't easy to balance it out. But if I, you don't sit down and wait, "You know, this is your life, and you have to do what you can to get on," because when you become a mom, it's not just about you but also about them, and you are trying to teach them. And so um, I've always just kept on these things, and no matter how difficult things are, I find ways to either overcome or to adjust to my environment. So there's probably somebody listening to you right now saying, she doesn't understand me, or maybe her sickle cell isn't that bad i know she says she has a blood exchange but you know what with sickle cell people have it worse than each other so she probably doesn't understand the kind of sickle cell i am going through she doesn't understand my pain and i'm saying this because i know i mean i've spoken to you before when you've been in hospital trying to go through the blood exchange so i've known you for quite a while now so i know how things are with you and we're going to get to a bit more of your story as we go along but Someone saying that right now, saying she doesn't understand. how. So what are some of the ways you used to manage, and what can you tell that person that is listening out there right now? Oh, yeah. So growing up, uh, one thing from a young age that uh, I was lucky enough, my mom is a nurse. She actually went into the health um, in the department because of you know, wanting to understand better so she can look after me better. So I was able to have more of a parent that understood and that would educate herself in order to get make sure that me and my siblings are educated as well. But one thing that my mom did not do was to give me that special treatment just because she had the understanding and all my siblings did. But just the same way my siblings would do something and get in trouble or whatever, I have to go through the same thing. Just the same way my siblings had chores and things to do, I had to do, even if not just as much. And for me, that kind of laid the foundation for me to realize that, to learn that people are not going to always understand, feel sorry for you in any way. So I applied that into everything. When I was at school, while um, kids would pray to have an excuse, most of the time, to not go to school, no, no, no. I would, most of the time, drag myself, and then they would have to call my mom when I get there. But I would push myself anyway. And in terms of having certain special treatment, like extra time, there were times that I would turn it down. Even when I was in university for my dissertation, I turned down the um, extra, you know, the extension because I knew that the world after is not going to be as understanding and that I was going to be put in a situation where people might not even understand what my condition is because I'm in a country where we are a minority, first of all, and then us that have this condition are even more of a minority. So um, in terms of somebody um uh, she might not notice that, I have been through it all. I have an endless crisis. I spend endless amounts of time in and out of hospital. But when I'm there, I am still going to do as much as I can. Most of my dissertation, I did right from the hospital bed When I could not go meet with my supervisor, I would call her. You know, do whatever it takes on the phone, email to make sure that I was getting on top of things. And I have my days. There are days when I am not like this. There are days I don't want to be bothered. There are days that the pain overcome. There are, I get emotional just like every other person. I get frustrated when I want to do certain things that I cannot. There are still limitations that are there. You know, several so it doesn't mean it's all smooth sailing, but I just feel it each day at a time. There are days that are very difficult. I've gone through not just the physical pain, but the mental torture that comes with that. I have dealt with depression. I have PTSD. You name me. I've dealt with it. And I still... Um, do counselling every now and then, especially with the whole pandemic and everything that was going on and having to shield, quite difficult. Um, So I have of that there are days I don't want to be bothered. There are days I feel like the world does not understand what I'm going through. There are days I just feel like, why me? I have those moments for what I do is I don't make those moments last forever. I still have to pick myself up and keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. You said something I want us to pick up on, and that's the mental health aspect of sickle cell. Because first of all, sickle cell is one of those illnesses out there that a lot of people do not understand. And then the little people that understand it, maybe because they have family members that have it, or they have friends that have it, or maybe they've just come across it somewhere. All they know is that it's this condition that messes up with the blood and you can find that it's very painful and people cry a lot until they get given certain medications and then they calm down. What people don't really talk about or know is the mental torture and the mental health aspect of sickle cell. The fact that you, even for the patient, you know, where you think, my mates are doing this, I can't do this, I have to do this, I have this to catch up with, why do I have to be in pain again? Why can't I go out with my friends? Why can't I do it? It's so much. And I just want you to talk a bit about that mental health aspect of sickle cell, which doesn't really get spoken about a lot. Yeah, it is so, so, so that people underestimate the... The, the, the torture that you have to go through mentally that when it comes to sickle, so it's not just that physical pain you go through, but that mental, you know, difficulties and challenges. Uh, especially for me, when I was a teenager and I could see my friends doing this, I could barely go out and have a day, you know, out without being in excruciating pain. There were a lot of things I couldn't do. Like swimming, I could only, to this day, if I ever go swimming, I would not be there for more than 20 minutes because I get into a crisis. So having to understand that at that age where you kind of, everybody's getting excited to have a bit more freedom, but then you are still feeling so constricted by your inability to do those things that you want to. It can be really, really difficult. But I have always been, as I say, blessed. I think having a mom that worked in the health field, that was open to these things, and not just, because there are a lot of people that they can't even express this because people see it as, oh, you're just complaining. You should be lucky to be alive. There are people going through worse things. I get this all the time. Yes, there are people going through worse things, There's always gonna be somebody that's going to bet that's better off and worse than you in every situation. But that does not mean yours should be dismissed. And for me, my team was always there to give me that support when I needed it in terms of mentally. I always had that. And I remember I had having my first panic attack when I was well when I was doing my exams to go to university, I was in sixth form. I didn't even know what this was. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was about to die. Because of the pressure so much I wanted to I wanted to go to university and but I had missed out on you know, so much amount of school and work and I just felt literally like the world closing in and the day before my exam I literally it all just went out. And I literally just passed out of the garden. I remember that time my, my sister thinking like I was done, I was gone. And not fully understanding what that was about. And people like, oh, just take a deep breath, breathe into a bag When well, you feel literally like you are about to die. And then having to always have those questions of things you want to do. When I finished university, I got my first job. I ended up being dismissed from that job as a result of my health. I was cold and I felt like my, the, the company I was working for was deliberately pushing, finding a reason to dismiss me, like, to get rid of me. As soon as I said, there was so And I remember being advised by a friend the friend that recommended me not to say it, but I'm like, this is not like a, a scratch that you can hide. This is a huge aspect of my life. I cannot just throw it and, and, and not say anything. And she was like, because I know if they know, they're going to be very hesitant to hide you, even though you have all the experience, qualifications, everything. And indeed, she was right, but I had to do what felt right to me. But then, Losing that job, I felt worthless. I felt like all I had all the hard work, everything that i had done, I felt all of that was in vain. And I went through a period of depression where I did not even want to get out of bed. But again, that situation helped me to find myself and what I truly wanted to do, which was to help others. And it made me realize that there there, is more than one way to succeed and to achieve your goals, you know. And so, as difficult as sometimes those situations may be, and when you're in that situation, it feels like this never ending cloud that cloud that's just following you. And it is hard to explain to somebody who isn't in that situation because most of the time, As I say our situations are dismissed because single cell number one is an on scene disability. So you don't look somebody looking at me will not see anything wrong with me. So when I am saying these things and I am crying out for help to them, it seems that I just want attention. So it is difficult and I think that is still an aspect that we have so much work to do in, you know, especially with um, recently situations that were in cases that were in the news, and still also not still having a resolution to those, you know, to to the case, and basically just leaving it like that because they have to think how many people all of this. Not everybody deals with situation the same way. Not everybody gets affected the same way. And I feel when we have sick results because we're so already afraid of what people are going to say, we tend to bottle things in until it just explodes. And nobody wants to be labeled. You don't want to have that little on you of mental health. And I, I went through that and I had to make that decision of what was important? Me being able to be the best mom I could be for my kids or me going forward, just me listening to what society thinks and what you say. Wow, wow, wow. That is so, 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 so. You know, as you, as I sat down there and I listened to you, I could totally relate with everything you were saying about losing a job because they find out that you have simple self. And You know what? Even though your friend said, don't say anything, you did the right thing by saying to them, this is what it is. Because even if you had not said anything, the truth is, secret cell does not give notice before it turns up. So you could have gone to work feeling all on top of the world, feeling very, very good in the morning, and you could be right in the middle of a very important meeting, and then crisis turns up. What would you have said then? I used to go into the toilet. and I used to go into the toilet and cry and then i wipe my tears straighten up myself and go back and continue to put on a big smile wow wow so for anyone listening and thinking oh my god i never knew what can i do to help you know because sometimes i don't think the 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 society is as evil as sometimes a society is painted to be. And I'm not saying we are painting the society to be evil right now. I know there are very, very horrible people out there, but I know that there are also some people who genuinely don't know what to do, or who sometimes say things carelessly without realizing how deep it's cutting what they're saying, how deep it hurts, how deep it's going. So for someone saying right, they're saying, Oh my god. I probably have a colleague that has sickle cell. I probably didn't realize that I was treating them in a certain way or maybe an employer out there who has employed someone in the past and has had sickle cell and has had to let them go. What would you say to them? How would you say? Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, from the employer's perspective, they're there to make money. They're there to... And you're an entrepreneur yourself right now. So you're there to employ people. And so you need to get people to do what you need them to do. You don't necessarily want somebody who is always coming up with excuses. I know by a lot of sickle cell people, they don't make excuses. In fact, they over push themselves. They even push themselves to the point of breaking sometimes. Because they're trying not to come across as Oh I was ill last month, am I gonna tell them I'm feeling again this way this month? It was only three weeks ago I got out of hospital Oh, you know, I can't say anything again today. And like you said, you go into the toilet and cry. So what would you say? How should people um handle this kind of things? Because it's an unseen disability. So if someone said to you right now, tell us how you want us to deal with it. So it's unseen. We don't know it, we can't say it and truth be told we have people making an excuse not to get to work. So, how do I differentiate that? And you're an I entrepreneur. Yeah, I think the first step is for us to have a better understanding and um, really educating ourselves on it. Because when it comes to sickle cell, things that are known are mostly just stigmas, you know, and uh, not actually the facts. And so, Educating yourself is, is um, and having that better understanding should be really, really important. And I think the, the second, or maybe even the best thing, nobody understands more than people themselves that are going through it. And another important thing that I want people to understand is that sickle cell is different for each and every software. That is another thing. And it is difficult to say, like, have certain policies because everybody goes through sickness in different ways. They are affected in different ways. So you have to treat it on a case by case basis because what may work for one person may not work for another. You know, and I think that is where uh, maybe flexibility may come because. Just as you say, we're not lazy. In fact, we overcompensate because we know that um, everybody's just like waiting, waiting for us to just, oh, here we go again. And the funny thing, right? Just before I left the workplace. So I left work on a Friday. I went to my mom literally, my mom had to meet me halfway. Cause I could not even make it home. My mom had to meet me on the way to help make it home. I was by this time done. My mom put an ambulance. I went to speak to. I begged them, begged, begged them, and even said if they don't discharge me. I was gonna discharge myself. So that was on a Friday. On the Sunday, I begged them, begged, forced them to discharge me. On Monday, I went to work. On Tuesday, I went to game. But by Wednesday, my body could not do it. So on Wednesday, i have, it was my mom that came into my room. My mom's like, you're not going anywhere. Call them right now. Call my supervisor. And she said, oh, all right, ma'am, don't worry. It's all right. I have my discharge documents, of course, you know, and all of that. And as soon as I got off the phone to my um, supervisor, told the manager, Who then told the person that recommended me for the job. Can you imagine my friend? Who was no longer working at the place. And they told her I did not show up for work. After I called in, she called me. Mom, what happened? This, this, this is why I said this. I was like, I just got off the phone to this advisor. On Thursday, I went to force myself to work. And one of my colleagues like, Oh, I heard you just wanted to take, you know, out there like, Oh, why were you not in yesterday? And no. I was like, I was like, Yeah, sure. You were not well. Sure. You know, that kind of sarcastic thing. Yeah, you know, I understand. I put myself, we all just need a day off. I'm like, No, I wasn't well. You know, so the, the, the conversation was already there in the office anyway. That they made, they, they did, they said what they wanted to say. And I still went. And on the Thursday, as soon as I went to work, I had a meeting, supervisor and the manager. And I gave them my shirt, and everything and whatnot. On Friday, I went. I was in pain. I kept going to the toilet. And my supervisor told me, um, oh, you're, you're sounding like I was here really pushing myself and she's like oh you're sounding a bit too tall on the to the customers like you don't want to be here and I was literally going into the toilet and crying and coming back out really straightening everything and trying to push myself and on that Friday they called me again to a meeting and told me that this is not gonna work the work The job requires 100% attendance, and I missed one day. So this was not even a repeated situation. One day I missed. And I worked so hard, and they kept pushing me. Within me, being there two weeks, they gave me a whole department to look after. People that have been there years, they did So it's like they were pushing me to be the one to make that decision already, but I kept pushing and pushing. So there's a lot that needs to be done to change this. views, to give support to these people because we have the talent. We have, it's not that we don't want to. We want to be there. But sometimes I feel, I feel like if there's just a bit of understanding and support, we will really, really, trust me, we'll put in the work, you know. But we also have a limit. And that is where I think like... um. Though maybe the health department needs to work more with um, employers because maybe if these employers feel like they can get advice and support from the medical professional and um, bring in both the employers, the patients and the healthcare providers. And I think if those, all of those different levels come together, then things might improve because you have to include those that are going through it. Nobody knows this experience better than those that actually go through it. But it's not a one-size-fits-all. So I can understand the difficulty in that. But there are also common elements that can be included. And, um, you know, and everything in the way that there's always been trial and error in everything. That, and I think there just has to be a willingness to try. You know, what you're saying is really, really true that it needs to be a lot of collaboration that needs to be done, not just in the workplace, but even in the society at large. Because I was thinking about, um, you know, yeah, Richard, yeah. You know, did the police honestly know what sickle cell is? You know, they probably did honestly not know what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if they understood the implication of sickle cell, that regardless of whether it was winter, summer, there's implications. In, if it was winter, it could have been too cold. For him, he could go into a crisis. If it was summer, he could have gone into dehydration. And because the waste crisis are, anyway, he could have even just had a crisis as he was walking and trying to look for, for help. And he didn't get help. So if they had understood the gravity of what sickle cell yeah. is, yeah. they probably would have sent a rapid response out and not waited. Exactly. And you know, I think there's a lot of work that can be done between the healthcare system and the emergency services that, so everybody understands that yeah. look at the bare minimum with sickle cell this is the basic thing in as much as it affects everybody differently however this is a basic foundation of yeah. things exactly. that would happen across the exactly. board and I think in, this was um, really a situation where these things could have been put into place and um, I think with the family I don't think they should have just stopped. They should have gotten maybe the medical um, team involved. Because when these police are hearing from a doctor, they are more likely to take it serious than a parent. And we are talking about a black young boy. First of all, the first thing they think is gang, drugs, all of these things, you understand. And you're saying, sick yourself. And I have gone into, when I was at university, from my from the um warden from um security, they did not even know what it was. They mm-hmm. did not know what it was. I had to take it upon myself to put together like little information packs for them. Um, I the first time I pulled the security um gate because I I was on campus. I stayed on campus. The first time I pulled, because you have to call them. You don't just call 999 straight. They call 999. They sent the situation because, you know, it's a gate, it's closed as well. And, and they need to, they the ones that direct them where to go to just make things easier, you know? So, um, that's what the procedure is. And I called them. The first person that I picked up, I said, Oh, they're like, what's the matter? I'm like, um, I'm having a sequester crisis. And the guy was like, them. And then he was talking to the other person. Mate, mate, do you know what super cell is? <laughs> I was like, oh Lord, no, that must so been me. But at that moment, I knew this was not the time for me to get upset, or whatever the case was. So um, I tried to explain to them. I was like, okay, oh, we'll just call them. when you call them. You tell them super so crisis. This the world, this stuff. But what I did after that. I went on. To, I, I, I I actually did an email to them, and I sent them links. So nobody can understand. And When I tell you, we ended up becoming so close. Like all the security people that they knew me, Like there was a time we right. I I remember because we called them as well. When oh, our door, if there's something that alarm, we call the same um, security. And one time I called because our alarm kept coming off, and I called. The minute I was like, hi, is like, Oh, Miriam, no, we're coming around and we're calling the ambulance. I was like, no, 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 no. The door is not working. <laughs> you know, our alarm is going off. But they have understood to that point that it took it serious. And I think the approach as well helped a lot. And I sent them information. I thanked them first for coming to my aid and help, even though they didn't understand. Now, Anybody else that goes to that conference after me, they have a better understanding. And also, (laughs) after I had that conversation with the warden and then my lecturer, I actually ended up doing a talk where um, during one of our classes and lectures um, with other classes, where I went to talk about and We had an informal presentation where you could choose any subject. And I wanted to do something for what they felt to be really important to talk about. See yourself. So I use that as another way as well to just spread. So sometimes the way in, in the manner in which we react can help the situation or hinder the situation for those coming behind. You know, and I like what you're saying that because what you're trying to say is that even as much as we want People out there to support, to understand the mental health torture, to understand the pain, to understand the urgency. A lot of the responsibility is also on us to educate them because you can't blame somebody for what they do not know. You can't, you know, you can't blame somebody for not reacting to a situation that they don't know about. Yeah. I mean, look at the classic example you've given about this security guard. Before then, you know, they're probably thinking, what's that? What is it? But the fact that you have educated them, just a simple phone call to say alarm is not working. They they heard your name and they said, no, okay, fine. I said, Miriam. Okay, Miriam, welcome. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not feeling something. I'm not well. And they give it to the friend. When, before the ambulance would come, they had known me so well. They'd come with oxygen. they i come having breathing really difficulty because I had ensured. First, I, I didn't email them. Safe rule. I can't believe you didn't understand. I was in the even though it's London is like more towards the outskirts of London and yes security, they're not working in the hospital. And even those that are working in hospitals, not everything you're going to know about. So we should always try and use every situation as a way to educate people without you just having this expectation that they should. They don't. Is it everything that you know? No. Something that does not affect you on a daily basis, that doesn't affect your life in any way, it's not something you're gonna understand. So my approach was very, very important. That is why they ended up coming to my aid. Because when I when I ended up coming back, I first thanked them that even though they did not understand my what I was going through, they understood the urgency based on my voice. And I asked, as much as I was in some and I still tried to remain calm to explain to them and telling them what to do because they had not dealt with it. You know, my university did not even have much black people, let alone, you know, those that have. So I had to be calm enough to explain to them what to do. I was like, okay, when you call nine, you ask for an ambulance, tell them we have a student on campus, this is the, 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 the this, the, that, this is the room number. She's having a crisis. She's having difficulty breathing. So they know they're prepared. And when once they knew I would have that, they made sure they had oxygen. So before even an ambulance would come there, they would first, the security, they would come there and come and give you oxygen. They, to the point, knew how to spell my name, my son name. They knew my birthday, because they would have all this information for the ambulance right. so the approach was important for me first to just thank them for the fact that they sense the urgency they did they did not question me because of the approach that I took and after that anybody that goes there or that goes into the situation they now understand I went there one time after I left. no one time I went I, I went into my second time there. and returned. And they even ended up writing me an email checking on me because they had not had any calls <laughs> <laughs> to make sure I was okay. And I told them, no, 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 I've moved down uh, to my mom just so I can get a bit more support. And when I finished really one time, I went there as well with my mom. My graduation, I went to, stay to them, you know. So we actually ended up developing an uh, actual French uh, in the long run and they were always there to support me. And see that that is so key, and I like what you're saying about how relationships and how we approach those relationships are so key. Because for you now, you're an entrepreneur as well, and I'm sure that is same. That's the same thing you carry onto your entrepreneurship, your relationship with those that you're working with. Because not only do you have to understand them, but with sickle cell, they also need to understand you. That you could cancel meetings at the drop of a hat. You exactly. Know, Exactly. And that's why I think, as I said, the, the approach is always so important. Funny thing that happened to me not long ago. I had a meeting, right? I had the first one, the first time i came come to the meeting, I wasn't well. And the second time I was in hospital, but I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to call it And at this time, we didn't even understand. So I was like, no one. I've got my phone on me. And I was in a side room because um, um, of infection controls. I was in a side room, and so I went on and went on to Zoom. And next minute, they're like, "Are you okay?" He's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm in hospital actually, but I didn't want to catch. I know your time is valuable, and I don't want you to think that I don't value your time. So even if it's for a few minutes, I can catch up. But if you want to, if you can." just we book again, I would really appreciate that. It's like, ma'am, no, you didn't need to do it. So, after, so we ended up re-booking we, we the meeting. When I came on, the other I was like, nice to see you, you're not in the hospital. This I like, why did you, I've never had any, <laughs> anybody like, call me that like, oh, no, you should have just said I was like, no, 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 I know how valuable your time is. And I don't want you to think that I don't value your time as much as you value mine. And I want that understanding and respect to be there. So now, if I'm not wealthy, well, will never question the fact that I am not. Because sometimes when we appear, even our tone might not be mm. the way somebody would expect somebody to be. So I also implement that into my work. And there are a lot of people like, okay, maybe when that situation happens, and then the next time we have another meeting, like, oh. Yo, Kiyosaki, I've got six or so. That time they're so interested to know. And I have a couple of videos. So sometimes after that, I'll send them links. If they want to know more about it, I'll send them links. And they end up like, oh, wow, you know. Like, how did you do all of this? Because now they're able to really see the challenges that are there. And that is the thing. I understand people sometimes, you want to be private, which is fine. But people are not going to know what is going on with you if you don't see. Because number one, when they look at you, they don't see anything wrong with you. Yeah. I'm not saying you should take a microphone and start screaming to everybody. I have to wrong certain people, them understanding in the long run, it actually helps with that relationship. Because they know now that you are not just making excuses, you know. And I don't ever force it to anybody. I will explain a little bit and I'll tell you if you, on your own time, you want to find out more, then you can, you know, watch this video. I actually did a video, I did an interview about this. And they, they'll come back to me like, wow. You know, and most of the time with my clients, instead of me being afraid that, oh my God, they're going to, they actually are then even more determined to work with me because they see how much Effort I put into just even showing up. <laughs> so okay. there's no, if she can put this much effort, she is definitely <laughs> going to make sure she's going to, if she puts that effort into my own business and my growth, I'm surely going to learn a lot. And it's so funny sometimes. I have clients that I'm coaching them for business and they end up coming to a where they're actually now calling me for certain personal issues because they know like what I've they been, been experiencing different situations and so they'll be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I know you're not you're not my, my, my counselor, you are know, my business coach. I'm like, no, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I understand. You know, sometimes you just need somebody that can listen and even if they have nothing to say but the fact that they are listening to you, it helps a long way because And another thing that uh, is important for us to realize, we're not the only ones that have problems. Some people, we all have issues in life. It's just that ours has a name. Some people are dealing with other things. And when you're very open-minded, you end up learning so much and it really helps with your own personal and professional growth, which is what I'm big on, which is what my brand is about. and and being open-minded to um, certain situations and um, it helps a lot. Thank you so much, Miriam. Thank you for your time because, you know, this is so, so key for anyone that is listening. You know, you can't afford to keep quiet. You can't afford to keep silent. You don't necessarily have to be an advocate. You don't necessarily have to go out there campaigning for sickle cell. You don't necessarily have to go out there and put a placard on your head or, something on your forehead but just saying it to especially to the most important people for those that don't know and those that are listening marian introduced herself but one thing she did not say was that she's also has a foundation the dora foundation the dora foundation helps people with sickle cell in third world countries to access medicines and other first aid that they might need. So can you please just tell our listeners a little bit more about Dora Foundation and how they can get more information about it and if they want to support Dora Foundation, how they can do so? Yeah. So the Dora Foundation um, is a foundation that I founded back in 2015. And I did this because um, growing up in Africa, all the things that I that I was going through before coming back to the UK. and uh, When I started going back on holiday, really and realising that it's the same old you know, thing. And I was like, you know what? Something needs to be done. I know I'm one person, but even if I can help you, just a handful of people, that'll be fine. So um, I started the foundation, got it registered, and we started just helping people access information. Before even we had our own like premises, we we started going around um, the community, raising awareness um, at events, programs, schools, and also we started uh, uh, advocating on behalf of um, people in in different um, institutes to make sure that they are understood and they are supported because it makes such a great difference for a a a, a student being in school and feeling like there's an understanding. So we try to just dispel all these uh, rumors, all these um labels and things that people just misunderstand. You know, just misstatements that they're about sexual self and we educate people on the actual facts. And the fact that oh it is not a condition, it isn't a catch, it is not a curse, it is not witchcraft, evil spirits and all those things that people hear. And we make it more of an open conversation and so those students are able able to number one, have a better understanding. They also understand that it might not be you today, but this is something that it is in our blood, you know, and also how they can support others, so people within communities, schools, colleges, even churches. How as a community we could come together so the foundation stands as like a just alliance between the community and the institute and the patients to provide this information and also providing resources. At the moment, we have in um, Suriname where we started. We have over eighty patients that are registered who get free monthly supply of, of medication. We also carry our blood tests to make sure people have accurate you know, results before even we give them any support because we all know people have been diagnosed, I myself included. And um, we also have volunteers who go into um, secluded places. We do outreach work, going in and giving information. And also working with other organizations. You know, I believe there's power in number. And um, sometimes you don't, you might, not everybody will have to set up something, you know. But you can still support, you can still find a way to help out. And um, I we recently started the Warriors Club, and we have a group on Facebook and the Warriors Club on the Drone Foundation, where we provide information on um, different things to do, yourself, and um, even things like what you're doing. So people, so we'll be more of a community of not just um, sufferers, but also people within the health field, events where they can get support, and um, all of that resources to be really helpful. And that's what we have been doing. It hasn't been easy with COVID, of course. It's been quite difficult, you know. But when COVID started, what I realized is that being in the UK, we were very fortunate to have like information, whereas back in Africa we didn't have that. So I took that information that I got from the NHS to then put down. We did posters, we did flyers. And then we provided, we donated um, hand washing facilities because that time it was not yet well understood in Africa. So we I used that information. So it wasn't even something big. I did not have to go and do research, it was already available. It was yes. just about translating that information and putting it in a way that people can understand. So we do that, we make sure that our patients were. Well we actually had meetings with them, explaining. And when there was lockdown and people were not able to move around, we have our volunteers that actually take medications to the patients to make sure that they are still keeping on top of their um, their core medications like that biotics and all of that to still keep them fit and for them to understand that they are more vulnerable more vulnerable to COVID than the average person. And in terms of how people can help, we have the Warriors Club, as I said, on Facebook. You will also find the Dora Foundation both on Facebook, on Instagram. And we are, at the moment, we do the websites, but the website is the org, where we also have um, information and uh, things that are going on in the news. And then... Um, With the club, with the Warriors Club, we are going to be starting as well doing like um, Zoom meetings where we can have these discussions about different things and we can be inviting as well health professionals. So not only they can help, but we can help one another. They can understand from the patient's perspective and we understand from their health perspective and then how we can combine, come together so we can put things, you know, forward. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for your time as always. If you're going to leave our listeners with one word today, what would that be? It could be a word, it could be a phrase, something that if they've forgotten everything we've said and they're just going to go away with, so what are you going to leave them to go away with today? I think the the one thing that I also, that's my mantra, is to never give up. Because I've been in situations where it felt like there was no hope. But don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Even when something is seem hopeless, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And all of this, this is a very short version of, you know, my journey as a person, as a mother. And, but what has kept me going is hope. And that also keeps me going and doing what I do to help others because I am hopeful. For a better future for those coming behind, so they will not go through as much of the difficulties and challenges that we have to. And if somebody wants to keep up with uh, some of these things, I have, um, I am on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, MK, where I I talk about all these different issues. I do vlogs as well sometimes on um, my experiences in hospital, having a blood exchange. You know, for people that may want to know more about the life and the, the chaos that go the organized chaos that go on behind all of that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. That's it, listeners. You've heard it. I've always said it. There to keep hope alive. And Miriam has said it again. Do not give up.